welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's March 8th, 2021, and this is episode 65. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. New in theaters are actually a couple of films that I got to see over the weekend. These uh, uh, opened up on Friday, March 5th. First up is is uh, the latest film from Walt Disney Animation Studios called Raya and the Last Dragon. This is an original story, uh, uh, a fantasy film, as you can imagine, although it's set in it's set on planet Earth uh, in in uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, it's a story about a, a young woman named Raya, who's who lives in this uh, kingdom called Kumandra, and this kingdom has been uh, sadly divided up, and uh, you know due to due to some conflict, and also the magical dragons that were part of this kingdom um, are no longer in existence, with the exception of one. You know, hence the last dragon in the title. Um, uh, Kelly Marie Tran uh, is the voice of Raya, and the actress Aquafina is is the voice of of uh, the Last Dragon, and they are joined in this film with a really great uh, cast of primarily Asian actors, at least with this English language version of this film. Uh, they've got, uh, uh, Gemma Chan is the voice, Daniel Day Kim, Benedict Wong, Sandra Oh, and, and, and many others make up, make up the voice cast. Uh, the film is not a musical. And so it's actually got a really beautiful soundtrack by, by James Newton Howard. And, and again, just, just masterful, gorgeous animation, from the artists at Walt Disney Animation Studios, you know, I think I think typically uh, Disney Animation is just you know top notch, and this is no, this is absolutely no exception. Uh, the film the film is gorgeous. I saw a, an IMAX print of it, and I just basically wanted to stay in the theater and and, and watch it again. <laughs> it was just uh, really beautiful. It's it's a fun story. I think it'll work for. For uh, family members of all ages, uh, and and uh, of course, there's some good uh, good messages in the film. But uh, I was just really overtaken by the by the artistry uh, of it. This the animation art is 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 really gorgeous. Just one other interesting thing of note is that you know these animated films they take multiple years, you know lots of story years of story development and then when they finally get going on the animation and I think that 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 final production push is probably you know kind of a 12 month period if if I understand correctly this film given covid uh all of the final animation and the final uh, compilation of the film um all the artists work from home 
So it's kind of, kind of an added uh, an added bonus uh, of that, and and that amazed me too. Just thinking, wow, here they all were 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 separated, and we're still able to pull together uh, an incredibly beautiful movie. As I mentioned, I saw this film in the theater and in IMAX. Um, it's also available on Disney Plus through through Disney's Premier Access service where you pay a fee in this case it's thirty dollars and uh, you get to add it to your library uh, before it's just available on on Disney plus so you still have to pay your Disney plus subscription fee of course your monthly fee but then this is just this will just add it early to your library this Disney tried this out last year with their live action slash CGI retelling of Mulan. So they're trying it again, and we'll just we'll just see how how it works. I don't think this did really great at the box office last weekend. Um, again, I just wonder still if a lot of fans, although the, you know the screening I went to in IMAX, there were there were actually a lot of people there. Um, surprisingly, I mean, I still we were all able to socially distance, and I felt safe. But uh, but I just wonder how that's gonna how that's gonna play out. But um, it's it's really a great film and and, and highly recommended. Uh, the next one I got to see uh, was Chaos Walking. This is a drama from Lionsgate. Uh, it's directed by Doug Lyman. This is an adaptation of of a book called The Knife of Never Letting Go, which is which is one of these dystopian young adult science fiction novels. Um, uh, it's written by a British American author, Patrick Ness. Uh, I believe it's part of a trilogy. Uh, so I think Chaos Walking is the name of the trilogy. The other two books in the series uh, are called The the uh, Ask and the Answer and Monsters of Men. But anyway, um, Chaos Walking has a bit of an interesting history in that it was originally filmed in 2017. And then uh, their test screenings, again, from what I read, didn't go particularly well, so they did some reshoots, which delayed the film, and then COVID showed up, which really, you know, significantly delayed the film too. So they're kind of sneaking it in, um, but also I think uh, the film just had problems. In fact, I wonder um, what that original cut was like because this, the one we got, I, I didn't really care for. So this film stars Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, and you know they're. Ooh, very appealing actors, and they're great. Um, also stars Mads Mikkelsen. Nick Jonas is in it, uh, and and uh, you know it's got it's got it's got a good cast. And Doug Lyman is a good director, but sadly it just didn't really come together. I think it's probably maybe just comes down to the script because I thought the special effects overall seemed fine. But um, it's set in this uh, on another planet, and the. Uh, What's going on is that all of the men on the planet are able to uh, hear each other's thoughts. It's just one of the things that happens on this planet. They don't really explain it other than that it happens. And so that makes it a challenge because, again, you can't really, um, you know, uh, hide your poker hand, so to, so to speak. People know what you're thinking. At least the men know what you're thinking. Sadly, the 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 female population on the planet has all oh, they've all been killed, and um, and then as I mentioned, Mads Mikkelsen, who's really kind of like the sheriff 
Um, it kind of felt in a lot of ways like a Western, even though, you know, set in, in outer space. Um, Mads Mikkelsen is, is, is the bad dude along with his son played by Nick Jonas and, and they, um, they rule the roost. Um, but Tom Holland just is this, you know, kind of young man, uh, on the planet and, and he sees there's uh, there's a, a spaceship crashes near his family farm and, it turns out there is a young woman who she's the sole survivor of the crash. And, uh, it's this woman played by Daisy Ridley. And then it just starts a whole bunch of confusing things that you just never really know why they're doing what they're doing and what's going on. Uh, of course, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley individually are great, but, um, and it's not, it's not really a romance per se, at least the way I know I'm not familiar with the source material, but it's not really what the film's about. It's more of an action movie, but, uh, you just never know what's motivating these characters. And, and they give you really no reason to like them other than, Oh, it's Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. So, um, and then, you know, Mads Mikkelsen plays a great bad guy, but don't, I don't really understand his motivations. And it just turned out to be, um, uh, really a bit of a bore. So, so, uh, I can't say I recommend chaos walking at all. In fact, I, I, uh, I'd walk away from it and I'd, and I, and I'd run to Ryan, the last dragon, which is really, uh, a terrific film. Classic Cinema Corner, I'd like to highlight an interesting film series that Turner Classic Movies is is doing uh, through the month of March. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something they continue to do uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, they are calling this, this series Reframed Classic Films in the Rear View Mirror. Uh, every Thursday night, they're going to be playing films that that uh, by contemporary standards um, contain certain aspects that are troubling and problematic. Uh, for example, you know, I'm watching a bunch of musicals uh, for, for uh, this year from a viewing guide that TCM has put out called, called Must See Musicals. And I just watched the great Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger musicals, musical uh, called Swing Time. Um, it was made in 1936. Now, I adore this film and would recommend it to everybody. Um, however, there is a scene in this film where Fred Astaire uh, puts on blackface makeup and and um, does a musical number. And uh, again, you know, putting on blackface uh, in that time period was was done regularly and, and, and was accepted at least by, you know, wide audiences. Um, but you know, it's horribly offensive and, and, uh, and to watch it really, is just, you know, really an unpleasant experience still though. It doesn't take away the fact that this movie is just, um, an absolutely outstanding movie and not worth, throwing out you know or quote unquote canceling so they they uh 
TCM with their five hosts, Ben Mankiewicz, Dave Carger, Alicia Malone, Eddie, Eddie Muller, and Jacqueline Stewart are, are, uh, discussing. They're just, they're, they're, they're having discussions both at the beginning and the end of the film. Uh, and, and just, just talking through things. They, you know, they're exploring, um, the film's history, the cultural context, and discussing how these movies can be reframed so that future generations will keep their legacy alive. Um, that's the thing, the thing that's, that's, that's very important. The, um, they brought up the example of, and, and one of the first films they showed la- I was on last Thursday was uh, the 1939 film Gone with the Wind. Now, you know, Gone with the Wind, of course, is one of the all-time classic Hollywood films. But uh, it is just, you know, is very controversial, particularly with today's audiences. Um, but also, you know, surrounding since its inception, due to its pleasant view of slavery and 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 then the stereotypes of 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 the portrayal of, of the black characters that are in the film. And um you know, they I I, I watched I watched uh um the intro of it and, and heard the discussion. And again, you know, I just appreciate it. they're not just they're not trying to justify it, but but giving it some contextual contextualization and having and just having an adult discussion uh about it was was uh was very helpful. Um some of the other films that they're gonna tackle include uh uh the searchers from nineteen fifty six, which is you know one of the great westerns. In fact, I think it's my favorite Western film. Um, directed by John Ford and starring John Wayne. Um, you know, John Wayne plays a, a a Civil War veteran who devotes his life to rescuing one of his young nieces uh, who's been kidnapped by the Comanche Indian tribe. Um, John Wayne's character in this film is, is overtly racist. I mean, and that's the point. Um, but many argue that that the label also applies to the film itself. And... Um, as the characterization of the indigenous indigenous people uh, portrayed is both stereotypical and under underdeveloped. Um, another one is is uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's from 1961. This is, of course, a beloved film starring Audrey Hepburn um, as Holly Golightly and um, you know George Papard and um, you know directed by by Blake Edwards and just you know super charming. Uh, romantic comedy but you know as you may recall <laughs> you've seen it mickey rooney of all people plays um holly golightly's neighbor um who's japanese so mickey rooney's playing this japanese neighbor um and you know it's done for an ex- for exaggerated comedic effect um and he's got all this makeup and and and, and a dialect which you know, I think all of us would view today as quite offensive. So, um, anyway, uh, other films include uh, Stagecoach, Gunga Din, Woman of the Year, Rope, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Psycho, My Fair Lady, and even Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So, so uh, I've got a link to this this uh, page. You can see the full schedule. Uh, the link is on the podcast notes on my blog, 
but uh, just very interesting to see what um, how TCM is 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 tackling some of these films that have got some challenging things. Yet that we should still uh, we should watch these films and talk about them rather than uh, cancel them. I'm launching a new section this week. I'm calling it old versus new. I alluded to this a few episodes ago, but uh, you know, Netflix has a, has a, I mean, this happened in 2020, but they've got a, a, you know, a new version of, of Rebecca. And, uh, you know, Rebecca is, is, is to me, when I, when I hear the title Rebecca, I instantly think of, the 1940 Alfred Hitchcock film, uh, and of course this this uh, this new version, this 2020 version that's on Netflix now, uh, is 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 a, another you know filmed version of of the uh, of the uh, novel. It's it's a novel by Daphne du Maurier. I'm hoping I'm saying it correctly, <laughs> but um, it's a uh, you know, it's it's kind of a gothic romance novel, even though it's not necessarily set in a gothic period. But it reminds me, it reminds me of that, almost like kind of a Wuthering Heights or a Jane Eyre, uh, in a way. But um, it's about a, a a young woman who who marries a wealthy widower, and and uh, and then moves into his home. And, uh, and, and his, this man's first wife who was named Rebecca has a very overwhelming presence in this home. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot going on with it, but, but, um, so I guess this is, you know, I, I'm not, I, I have never read the, the novel Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, but now I've seen both. I've recently watched both the, uh, 1940 re- version of Rebecca, which I had seen before. And then this, then this new version, this 2020 version that's on Netflix. So I just thought I'd uh, do a little compare and contrast, and hopefully, if if uh, this is something that's interesting to you, that you can check out both both films as well. So uh, to start off with the Hitchcock version, this this actually was Alfred Hitchcock's first film that he made after he moved to the United States. Um, Hitchcock was an established director in uh, the UK and he came to make films in the, in the U S through, uh, through producer David O. Selznick. And, and uh, so this first film is a, is a Selznick international (laughs) picture and, and supposedly, I guess famously, Selznick and Hitchcock really clashed uh, over the making of this film. Selznick being a very hands-on producer, and Hitchcock, of course, being uh, again a well-established director. And hello, he's Alfred Hitchcock, right? Um, but anyway, the final film is really uh, 
terrific. I, I think it's that it's really a, a masterpiece, and I, I don't wish to use that word uh, lightly. But it's really, it's really a good film. The uh, Hitchcock just just uses all, of course, his his great storytelling and filmmaking techniques with this. Um, the actors are so good. So Laurence Olivier plays um, uh, Maxim De Winter, and then uh, Joan Fontaine plays his young uh, second wife. Uh, but really the big, you know, the big presence in this movie is of course, Mrs. Danvers, who is, is, uh, kind of the, the head of the household, um, of this, of this large estate of, of Mandalay where they, where, uh, where Mr. DeWinter lives. And of course now with his, now with his, with his new wife, um, but Mrs. Danvers, who in this film is chillingly played by Judith Anderson, um, is just just the best one of the best villains. But really, and you know, again, spoiler alert: um, the villain is 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 the presence of Rebecca, and you learn about uh, you know as things go. I don't want to completely spoil it if you you know if you're if you're going to be seeing this this film for the first time. But uh, the sets they created for this film are are masterful, just 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 beautiful and haunting. And I, again, it really comes down to just these really strong performances um, by Laurence Olivier and Joan and Joan Fontaine. Um, George Sanders has a role in this, and he's always he's always a great um, a great bad guy. Um, but you know, Gladys Cooper's in it, and I think uh, you know, different character actors that you that you probably will recognize. But um, Alfred Hitchcock's camera and direction uh, uh, are also really a, a star of this a star of this film. And and I got to tell you, I think it's I mean clearly an interesting story, and 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 any story, any good story is 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 you know I guess up for reinterpretation, but. Um, it's kind of a tall order, I think, to remake uh, a film that's so well made and I think so well loved as Hitchcock's Rebecca. But but uh, director Ben Wheatley gives it a shot for this Netflix version that was put out last year. So in the role of of Mister DeWinter is uh, actor Army Hammer, and then Lily James plays his young second wife, uh, Mrs. DeWinter, and and then as the uh, rotten Mrs. Danvers is Kristen Scott Thomas. Now, I like all three of these actors a lot, but I got to tell you, none of them just really captured it for me the way that Laurence Olivier, Joan Fontaine, and, and uh, Judith... Um, Anderson do in the Hitchcock Rebecca. So that for me was a problem was just the, was just the casting overall. And then, um, and then just the film, you know, just the filmmaking, uh, this, the, the thing I guess I appreciated about this is that he, that, you know, director Ben Wheatley and his team 
weren't necessarily trying to to copy Alfred Hitchcock really in in any way or really even pay homage. They were just making their version of the story. Um, but it every every scene to me, I just again I couldn't help but either comparing it to the Hitchcock film or wishing I was watching the Hitchcock film instead of watching this Netflix remake. Um, so I, I really didn't care for the Netflix remake overall. I, I thought it was it was um not particularly interesting and, and the whole time I just kept wishing I was watching the 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 Hitchcock version. So that's the version personally I would recommend. I ended up finding the Hitchcock version. I had seen it before. I had seen it on Turner Classic Movies, um, you know, a while ago, but uh, in years past, probably. Uh, so I don't know how heavy of a rotation it is on Turner Classic Movies, but I found a really great um, DVD of it that was put together by the Criterion Collection. And so I'm really, I'm really happy to have that um, in my uh, movie collection now too. And then, of course, this Netflix version is currently playing on Netflix. If you are a Netflix subscriber, so sorry to be a bit of a downer on on this uh, <laughs> on this uh, remake, but but just for just for a terrific mystery and and great acting in a very stylish film, the 1940 version of, of Rebecca um, directed by Alfred Hitchcock is, is uh, for me really, really, uh, uh, really takes the cake. Well, that does it for this episode of the movies past and present podcast. Again, links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Links are also on the, are also on the blog. And please follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at moviespap, as in past and present. As always, I hope you'll enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be safe out there and dedicate yourself to the truth. Mm -hmm.